welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the music of the night so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Unmasked by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Joining us to discuss this musical's theater memoir are Stacey Snyder, comedian and librarian, and Ashley Clark, musical theater newbie. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm going to tag each of you individually so people can try to tell your voices apart. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Renata. Duarte also came to say hi, yeah, Stacey. His, <laughs> his collar's jingling. Hi, Ashley. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How's it going? Pretty good. Welcome welcome to the podcast. All right. So as as you just heard, this is Andrew Lloyd Webber's memoir. Even if you are not a musical theater fan, you probably have heard of this person, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, if you've never heard of him, you probably just stop listening now. I don't, I think this is going to be too much for you, (laughs) but normally at the start of our show, we tend to summarize the plot of the books that we've read before we start talking about it in more detail. Uh, in this case, the plot is Andrew Lloyd Webber's life or like the first 40 or so years of it, which is pretty much like he was born and started writing musicals and made a lot of money in real estate and also paid a lot of taxes, which he didn't like doing. (laughs) And that, you know, and he, of course, uh, some of his better known musicals, Jesus Christ Superstar, Phantom of the Opera, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which they almost got sued and could not use the word Technicolor, but then they did. Uh, if they spelled it right. Right. They had to drop the U. Anyway, so he's, he is a, a musical man. And before we talk too much more about the quality of the book itself, I thought we would just go around and say a little bit about our own personal feelings and familiarity with Andrew Lloyd Webber, who is, by the way, properly a sir, no longer a lord. Ooh. I was not aware of that. Yeah, he, he <laughs> left the House of Lords around the time of oh, Brexit. Now I remember that. <laughs> not such a super fan, are you? <laughs> well, now you, 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 you revealed my standing on Andrew Lloyd Webber, so I guess I'll go ahead then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I pretty much have been a fangirl. Oh, fangirl might be a little bit of an exaggeration. You're but literally wearing an Evita t-shirt I'm wearing right now. my Evita t-shirt tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, I... My childhood soundtrack is road trips, listening to Andrew Lloyd Webber greatest hits CD, CDs, listening to Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat on cassette, um, just devouring everything. I mean, even Starlight Express, which is objectively stupid. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very well aware of the flaws of the man and the music, but it's deeply ingrained in my being, and I love so many of his shows. I, I would rate myself, I think, of the four of us as the next biggest ALW fan. Um, it's a little more tempered. I I love, sincerely, genuinely, the shows that he collaborated with Tim Rice on, which are uh, Joseph and Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita. Well, and Cricket, the musical, which I actually just learned about <laughs> from this book. I don't know about Cricket, but probably I would like it also. Uh, so I love those. I also 
I don't not love Cats. Like, Cats is goofy, but it was also the first musical I ever saw live. Um, I actually just went back and listened to it again after reading this book, and I was like, you know what? A lot of these songs are great. <laughs> a lot of these songs are really fun, and I enjoyed listening to it again, which is more than I can say about uh, Love Never Dies. No, that one's, yeah, that one's no good. <laughs> All right, how about you, Ashley? Uh, well... I didn't really listen to them growing up just because my mom is not a fan of musicals. She is also not a fan of Beyonce, so her taste is very questionable. Mm. Do not at me, (laughs) the beehive. Uh, But it's something that I got into a little bit later on in high school once they started making musicals and movies that I saw like Rent, Chicago, those kinds of things. So I am not as well versed in the world of musicals, uh, but I am starting to figure out who did what, but I still don't really have a sense of like, oh yeah, the Sondheim ones are this style and the other guys, this, I don't even know the rest of the names. So that's where I'm coming from. (laughs) Perfect. And I guess, I mean, obviously people who listen to this show know that I'm a huge theater fan in general uh, and musical theater fan. And reading this book really made me realize how much I really just kind of don't care about Andrew Lloyd Webber. (laughs) Um, Like, I saw Cats a lot when I was, like, it was, I think I saw it on Broadway, like, three times before I was 15, Mm. because I was obsessed with it when I was very young. Kate, I never knew this about you. (laughs) Yes. Kate, which was your favorite cat? You know, now I could not fucking tell you. I... (laughs) I listened to it again when the revival was out last year, last summer, or two summers ago, whenever that was. Um, and I was like, wow, like, I had forgotten, like, literally everything about this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I was very into it when I was younger. Um, I saw Phantom a couple times because when you grow up in New Jersey and you go on, like, field trips into the city to see shows, that's just what happens. <laughs> um, and, and Phantom's fine. Like, it's a cute show. I like some of the music in it. I like Joseph, sort of... You know, it's it's also fine. Um, I loved the Jesus Christ Superstar thing that just happened, the live on NBC. Yeah, yeah. But really didn't give two shits about it before then. And I found when reading the book, like, he would talk about all of these other composers and lyricists. And, and I kept thinking, like, man, I wish I was reading about Stephen Sondheim. I wish I was reading about Stephen Schwartz. I wish, I wish I was reading about Oscar and Hammerstein, like... <laughs> Uh, Rogers and Hammerstein, rather. Not uh, Oscar Hammerstein is one person. Um, <laughs> and, like, all of the other people he was name-dropping, I was like, I like all of these composers more than Andrew Lloyd Webber. So. I think there's... So, I like Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. I think what I... I think, truly, I like Tim Rice more than I like Andrew Lloyd Webber. And to me, ALW is, like, a delivery vehicle who will serve me Tim Rice wordplay. <laughs> And I love it. Um, (laughs) But I also, I love just Angeloid Weber as a pop culture figure, Mm -hmm. as this just, like, weird British, like, completely out of touch figure. And this book, I mean, it's long. Like, okay, I was just thinking, like, this book's, like, 400 pages. Like, that's a terrible time to realize you don't want to be reading it. Like, (laughs) oh, no, I don't actually like this. Oh, no, there's 375 pages to go. I mean, to be fair, like, that's kind of our shtick. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) 
Like, I didn't go into it thinking, like, oh, like, maybe I'll learn something about Andrew Lloyd Webber. It was more like, well, fuck, now I have to read this brick. Uh, <laughs> Because that is what I have signed up to do with my life. Yes. I think yeah. even if you were inclined to like it, he goes into so much detail that yeah. takes forever. Like, even the interesting parts, I listened to part of it on audiobook, and I had to keep rewinding because it was just like, I, I didn't get any of this, and I think that was interesting, but I'm not sure. So let's just move on. Yeah. I applaud you for go- rewinding, because with, <laughs> with the books that we read for this, if I miss something, I'm like, whatever, I'm moving onward. I'll, <laughs> I'll get it eventually. Or I won't, as you can tell from some of the episodes. <laughs> to uh, add an exclamation point to my super fan status over here, when I was 12, I did, we have a big end-of-year project that we did in, in sixth grade, and mine was an expert's report on, yeah, Duarte, on, uh, on Andrew Lloyd Webber, and I made a marquee that I hung from the ceiling of the classroom and everything, and I remember reading books about Andrew Lloyd Webber and writing these exhaustive notes about, you know, specific production details that I know that when I was 12, I would have poured over this book and mm-hmm. have been copying every statistic down, but now, you know, like 15 years later, or no, God, 20 years later, um, I, I'm reading this and I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, I, I love your ballads, I love your music, Sunset Boulevard makes me cry, but uh, no, guy, too much. I think part of it, too, is that, like, even as much as you love any, like, there's a, there's definitely, like, a difference between reading a biography about someone where you're learning facts about their life and reading a memoir that they've written themselves. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are very good at writing memoirs. And then there are people who write memoirs that are, like, loosely tied together anecdotes that, that, where they're trying to make themselves look good and like dropping in as many celebrity cameos as possible and this really felt like the latter i kept thinking while i was reading it about when we read that rob lowe book or that book that someone <laughs> rob lowe paid someone to write uh, for thank him you. <laughs> <laughs> where it was just right? like yeah here's a loose outline of my life that is punctuated by like weird celebrity stories like i don't remember fucking anything about rob lowe's life but i remember the soap on the rope i remember the outsiders <laughs> the hotel room i remember like all these other things in it that had nothing to do with like the actual structure that was trying to be there and i felt similarly about this like there are things in it that were interesting but they were like totally caked in all of these details that had no meaning or no purpose and sprinkled with celebrity encounters. I also think Angela Weber, yes, I think he was trying to make himself sound sort of self-deprecating and cool. I don't think he realized what a sleazy dirtbag he sounds like <laughs> through most yes. of yeah, this. Yeah. But, like, fucking gross, Andrew. Yeah. Gross. Is, like, yeah. his wife, uh, his first wife, what, they started dating when she was, like, 15 and he was, like, a college dropout. I forget... The age he difference. was 20. He was five years older than her, but it was at that time when five years. Right. It's not like 30 and 35. It was like she was literally 15 living with her parents. Her parents didn't approve, which, correct. Good yeah. job. <laughs> but Angeloid Weber was no Matthew McConaughey type. Well, I guess that guy's creepy in that movie where he's like. The best thing about high school girls is <laughs> I keep getting older and they stay the same age. Yeah, I think Angelique Weber thought of himself at that level of stud status with his child bride, as he kept calling her, which skeeved me out. Yeah. It also sounded like, well, this is the first girl that likes me. All right, let's do this. Yeah. 
Yeah, they did stay... I'm not as familiar with the details of his... I knew that he had a thing with Sarah Brightman later. <sighs> I didn't... I don't think I really knew that he had had this child bride. And so I was sort of surprised by how long they actually did stay married, which was way longer than I thought they would. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know, what, like 10 years or something? Mm-hmm. Like, like way longer than you'd I think, think even you would... longer than that. Yeah, longer than you would expect, given that they got married, like, six weeks after she turned 18, <laughs> which, yikes. <laughs> yikes. And there's, there's a thing in there, too, where he's like, oh, like, we got married, and, like, it, here's the people who are at my wedding who are, like, producers, and Tim Rice was there, and he performed a song, and then right after the wedding, we drove to our honeymoon, and my wife started to cry. Yes, because she was so young, and she'd never been away from home before. My young child, baby bride, you know, cried virgin tears on the side of the road. With, uh, over I took her, her from everything skin. she knew. Yeah, made her these musicals that didn't make any money. Tears <laughs> fell <laughs> down her untouched now. face. He was a real <laughs> phantom about it. <laughs> You're being very Eric right now. Yeah, very Eric. <laughs> Before we go too far, though, I feel like we have to tell this anecdote because I yes. think we're just going to keep referring to it. And um, so Stacy and Ashley and I all went to see Phantom of the Opera together. And Ashley, I think, Kirk and me wrong, didn't really know what it was about or, like, what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So so we went to see the fandom, and we were talking about it at intermission, I think before the show even, uh, like like you do. And this woman ahead of us turned around, and she showed us her tattoo, and it was, like, the mask and the rose, like, the Phantom logo. And she was just talking about how, how much she loves Phantom and how, how excited she was that Love Never Dies was coming to the theater next year. And we were like, oh, boy. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because if you don't know, Love Never Dies is the sequel to Phantom of the Opera that is just, like, a huge flop. Like, for years, it had never been successfully produced, and now it's touring, which is weird. Well, it's making... It's fucking it's ma- bonkers. Well, it's making bank <laughs> off of women like this, because Phantom has this very enormous, enormous fan base of women who obsess over this romance Women who are horny for the fans. Horny. Uh, during intermission, she turned around and told us that she was upset that I think it's during Music of the Night. There's a very famous picture where Michael Crawford embraces Sarah Brightman from behind, which already is disgusting sounding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a very famous pose in Phantom. And she turns around and like, they didn't do it. They didn't do. They didn't do the embrace, and she like rubbed her hands around her body <laughs> while she explained it to us. And I was like, "Okay, I'm sorry." Yeah. And the whole time I was very upset because I was like, "Okay, hold on. She's 16 in the show, and he's a creepy stalker roader in the shower in the shadows." Uh, and I in the shower, probably. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he's a well, who knows where he's watching her from? <laughs> so I was very upset by how this was going, and she was not pleased with my interpretation of no. the show. So no. Well, well anyway, interpretation of the show. What what the actual text of the show is saying? Right. right. Yeah. Well, anyway, so at some <laughs> point in one of our conversations with this woman, she told us the Phantom's Christian name is Eric, <laughs> and. Uh, which, by the way, is is true in the book. They never say the name Eric anywhere in the musical, but it's just such a funny thing. And so now, whenever we talk about <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, like I don't know, we just like to remind each other that the Phantom's Christian name is Eric. Well, it's a very like pure pure <laughs> version of a person deep into the fan Phantom fandom 
Because you know in her fan fiction, it's <laughs> shipped as Christine Daae and Eric. Of course. Not Christine and the Phantom. <laughs> so that's how she refers to him. Absolutely. Very casually, I'm sure. Yeah. That fan was spelled with like, pH. Slightly even more off course, I did know that the Phantom's name was Eric. I knew it! And the reason that I knew this was because... Uh, the portmanteau ship name that the Christine Daae and the Phantom shippers use is Cherik, which ah! was already the portmanteau <laughs> ship name that people were using for Professor X and Magneto. So every once in a while, some fan of the opera stuff would like show up on Tumblr, to, like suggest it to me because it was tagged that. And it took me a very long time to figure out why that kept happening. And then once I did, I like needed to go sit in a dark room for a little while. And You're like, op- Opera House, this is supposed to be at a school for mutants. Why are they singing? I feel like we've just jumped ahead to Rock, Paper, Snicks. Do, do, you, guys think that, do you guys think that Eric is a mutant? <laughs> Well, he was born that way. Yeah, how much we know. I know that now from the book. I didn't know how the Phantom became deformed. One thing that actually I really enjoyed learning from the memoir is that Andrew originally thought that Phantom would be like an over-the-top satire. And I was like, oh, I would buy that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I could get into that. And and thinking back on it, I don't think that's ever how it's performed or ever Mm -hmm. how it's intended in its current staging but i feel like at its core is something like so campy that i i would be very interested to see like an ironic staging of phantom of the opera but dwarf is so worked up about android weber and i think it's because we haven't even talked about cats yet which is is obviously his favorite yeah uh I, I don't think the horny moms of the world will ever allow like an ironic detached phantom show but I'd watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, I was going to say, how do we get on this? But it's pretty obvious that we got a fan of the opera because we're talking about Android, Web- <laughs> Android Weber's memoir, Unmasked. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's pretty much how we got here to Phantom. It's This is like, it's a hard one to talk about because, you know, we do normally, we'll talk about the plot or whatever. And there's not like this is, as I said, it's just like a loosely connected timeline of his of weird anecdotes from his life how about does anybody else have a like a favorite anecdote to share because i do yeah we'll (laughs) go go for it my favorite is when he my well my favorite that i didn't choose for dramatic reading anyway is when he was going on his uh university interview aka college (laughs) and um and first of all he was like a fuck up and he missed the first set of interviews and tests because he was too busy working on um i don't think it was even jesus christ superstar he was working on something like the school play basically and like so he fucked up all his school stuff and then he had to do well it would have been joseph was the first one but he wasn't even at joseph yet. yeah it was like it was like their school like um panto show or whatever Anyway, he was working on some musical, like, some work of art, and so he missed all the fancy, like, prep school interviews, so he had to go to, like, the peasant ones, 
and he was in the common room waiting to talk to the professor, and there was, like, a cat there, and the cat jumped on his lap, and Andrew describes this cat in, like, such detail as a Siamese cat, and it started needing him, and he loved this cat, and then they call him to go to the interview, and he just can't leave the cat behind, so he picks the cat up and takes the cat with him, and the cat just sits on his lap during his whole exam, like, his whole interview, and I love the image of that. It made me like Andrew Lloyd Webber just like 10 points more as a human <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> and also, by the way, one other thing that I learned from this is that Andrew Lloyd Webber is extremely horny for architecture yeah. and also trains. Yes. Um, and so his his university interview, he talks a lot about, he talked about um, architecture and, like, impressed the professor. And he was like, but everyone knows that some... I forget what, because I don't care. I just aggressively don't care about architecture. And there's a <laughs> lot... But Andrew Weber cares. Yeah, well, one of the parts I rewound, like, four times, is he's like, well, I wasn't really doing great in school, so I got a handful of pills, and I got a train out of town. Oh, I forgot about that! And I was totally going to take all these pills, but then I saw this cool building... And I went there, and I love architecture. And I was like, "Wait, what?" So, I, how did how did we get here? So, I guess nerding out about architecture saved his life. That's a, yeah, so, it did. Yeah, I've, yeah, it is the most casually dropped in thought of suicide, and then never returned to again. Right. Yeah. There's another point. I forget what he's sad about, and maybe his failing marriage. He says something like, "As always, when I am in despair, I turn to architecture." <laughs> yeah. Uh, other things that I thought were interesting were his, was his obsession too with um, Tim Rice's sexual exploits. Like, yes, <laughs> I knew more about the people Tim Rice had sex with than Angela Weber because when he first meets Tim Rice, he describes him as an Adonis. Yes, he's this tall blonde Adonis, and then all there's just like a laundry list of different women, and that's how you mark the passage of time. Like, who is Tim Rice sleeping with at this point? And I did know that he had a pretty crazy love affair with Elaine Page that Angela Weber definitely went into, but he barely touched on the fact that he cheated on his wife with a couple different women. He was just like, I did it. It wasn't nice, but I did it. And yeah. I was like, Who it. wouldn't have when you're surrounded by all these sexy cat yeah. dancers? Come yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Yeah, how he... he them, they were just the, so bendy. What are you going to do? Yeah, they all, they do? all picked up a cat lady for them to bone, so... Yeah, he. it definitely came across like he himself wanted to have sex with Tim Rice. <laughs> I mean, his grandma did for sure. Yes. Oh, his whole fucking fucked up family. That's my favorite <laughs> anecdote overall. The whole, yeah. all of his family is my favorite anecdote. His beloved Auntie Vi. Yeah, his it, who wrote a gay cookbook. Yeah, which at first I was like, oh, gay, like in the British sense, like it was a fun, cheerful cookbook. But then, like, no, it was like actually gay and it had a lot of like cock puns in it. Yeah. Too yeah. many cocks spoil the breath. Yes, thank you. I had a uh, speaking of like queer moments in Angela Weber. I I had like a weird like connective thread happen for me when he was talking about Starlight Express. And the song ACDC, where he described it as like a transgender song. Mm -hmm. And I first heard the term ACDC from my grandmother, who once described somebody who was gay, maybe it was Freddie Mercury, she said to me, Is wasn't he ACDC? And I was like, What are you <laughs> talking about, Grandma? That's a song in Starlight Express. <laughs> 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 and then it like later 
alternating current, somebody who swings both ways, and or trans, like, that's already all problematic, problematically wrapped up in there. Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna drop in because I'm pedantic that Freddie Mercury was actually bi. Just because I am hearing, I am, I can feel the cringing of every single friend I have because I am only friends with bi women of that erasure. So just for the record, I hear you all. I can feel it through the universe. I can feel those vibes. And I'm putting that correction out there. Thank you. Um, I like his family is fucking insane. His grandmother at one point, like, gets super sick. She's got, like, arthritis and, like, it, it seems like some sort of dementia-type memory loss old person issues going on. His family refuses to care for her. Like, he's in the middle of doing, uh, which was it? Was it Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah, I think it was Jesus Christ Superstar. So he's, like, back and forth to New York and also wooing this teenager who he needs to marry one day. And he keeps, like, saying to his family, like, you know, maybe we should put grandma in a nursing home or a hospital because she's real bad off. And his family keeps saying, like, oh, no, no, like, we can take care of it, whatever. And when they finally do, he goes to visit her with his child bride. And she's, like, (laughs) being starved in this, like, cold, drafty bedroom. And there's no, like, nursing staff or anything. It's like he's a Kenzian. Yes, it is. It is hardcore Dickensian. So he calls his family doctor and has her transferred to like a nicer nursing home. And she dies a couple years later, a couple days later. And like, no one seems to care. And then he just casually drops in that the reason that he realizes that no one cared was because she had had an affair with the man who went on to marry her daughter slash Andrew Lloyd Webber's aunt. And then that's done. Yeah, and yeah. We just don't. We just never go back to that at all. Yeah. Well, my thing that my thing that I fixated on with the family was how the mom just sort of like semi adopted a talented. I don't even think he was an orphan, like a a boy, just like a kid from like the wrong part of town. Or yeah. Something. So she's like, I can help this kid. Yeah, you can live with us now because you're better at piano than Andrew is, <laughs> or was it piano or violin? Some, he was better at music, and so she was just, like, sheltering him and showing him off and taking him to music schools and stuff. And meanwhile, Andrew was just, like, simmering and, like, obsessing over art. And that was, I think, part of his thoughts of suicide was just, like, well, my mom loves this, like, random boy more than me, so I guess I'll just have to be better at music than him. I guess I'll just have to go write Fan of the Opera, and that'll show her. <laughs> yeah. Because she w- even, like, he says at one point, like, oh, like, she gave up on me, like, when I was, like, ten, and she realized that, like, my brother was, like, a cello prodigy or something. Yes. And then, like, she just didn't care because I was never going to be good enough at anything to to be, like, a prodigy or a genius at it. So, whatever. And and it's wild to think about because it does make it sort of understandable the tone that he has throughout this of, like, oh, and I worked so hard and I had so many years of struggle before success. And it's like... Andrew, like, you had very successful musicals on Broadway before you were, like, 23 or something. (laughs) Like, very young he was for Joseph and Jesus Christ. I mean, even, what, he's, like, 40 for the end of this for, like, Phantom and Cats? Yeah. Something like that. Like, I didn't realize that was his first one. I thought there'd be, like, oh, some, like, cute little ones in there. And then it was like, nope. No. Just right out the bat. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I guess because of his screwed up home life, he felt like he hadn't achieved very much, which is sad. Well, also his mom was like super ambitious with his father, too. And she was like, well, he's not ambitious enough. Is it going to be my kids? Is it going to be this random boy? Who's it going to be? Yes. <laughs> Who's, whose coattails will she ride to glory? <laughs> Another thing that um, that I loved is one of my all-time favorite musicals is Chess, which is... Um, written by lyrics by Tim Rice and music by Benny and Bjorn of ABBA. And there's a casual mention in this of Tim Rice approaching Andrew Lloyd and saying, like, hey, I have this idea for a musical about, like, these chess grandmasters. And Andrew wrote back something like, well, it's, it doesn't, like, it seems like a good idea, but it doesn't really seem like you have a plot. And, like, maybe you <laughs> need to introduce, like, a new element of the plot. And maybe we should actually get another writer in here to, like, write a plot for it before we go further. And Tim Rice just, like, huffed off and got Abba to do it with him instead. But the thing is, I love chess. It's The music is so good. Andrew's right. It doesn't have a plot and it's a very confusing to follow musical. And so I am kind of like, oh, what would it have been like if they had gotten someone else to write a script for it? Well, it's also very easy for Andrew Lloyd Webber to say after the fact... You know, sure, because now, like, it can sound so prescient because now they're like rewriting chess to have a yeah. plot. So, which by the way, Danny Strong from aka Jonathan from Buffy the Vampire Slayer did write a new script for chess and it's really good. That's not in the book, that's just a fact that I know. <laughs> well, a fact I know, slash, an opinion that I have. <laughs> I definitely read his, like, he asked me about chess and I told him to do this as kind of like the you know, oh, and, like, when... I I can't think of a good example of this trope that, like, I feel like happens all the time with celebrities, where it's like, oh, well, you know, they came to me and said, like, oh, you know, we should publish this, like, garbage book. And I said, I don't know, I think this famous book would do better. And they ignored me and published the garbage. But, like, it's that, like, it read to me as that kind of, like, like, I, I don't necessarily know that that actually happened in that way. It, like, well, it, 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 if it had happened, it would be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, the, it, it definitely read as kind of like a him positioning himself to look prescient. Yes. Oh, yeah. But it's such a, I mean, I guess anybody reading this book would, would already be sort of in that world. But it is such a minor um, thing. Like, chess. It is more of, like, a cult hit musical. Like, I, I, again, if you're reading Android Weber's memoir, you probably do know what chess is, and you probably are like, yeah, he was right. But it's not like, it's not like he said, oh, you should, um, you, you should definitely make the chandelier fall in Phantom of the Opera. That's gonna be great. Or, like, you know, something like that. I don't know. We're both very not good at this. Nope. At this type of musical, like. <laughs> Uh, the other, like, kind of the flip side of that is I love that he, uh, reproduced, I think, it seems like almost all of a letter from Hal Prince, the, you know, very famous Broadway director, um, of his thoughts about Evita, and he had all these problems with Evita that it seems like none of them got fixed, because everything he said is, like, still in the show, but also... They're mainly things that I love about the show. <laughs> like, Hal Price really hated the song... Hal Prince, sorry. Hal Prince really hated the song Dangerous Jade. And I love it. And, like, Stacey and I actually quote that <laughs> song to each other all the time. I mean, it did get retitled, and now it's Perone's latest flame. But it's still there. 
<laughs> and yeah, it's... but there are some songs because I just re-listened to the concept album with Julie Covington and um, you know the original Jean Valjean, Colm Wilkinson, where there were lyrics that Hal uh, Prince wanted out that did get kicked out. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, uh, don't go bananas chasing nir- Nirvana's being the oh. pronunciation of Nirvana. But <laughs> some of the other, he did call it some other specific lyrics that did stay. Like, um, well, I'll, spoiler, I picked this for my dramatic reading, so we'll get into it later. <laughs> but I, I loved it. There were a lot of things in this that were just like references or name drops that did nothing for me because I was like, oh, I don't know who this is. Like Julie Covington. I mean, I know her from the, from the Avita Concept album, but. I guess she had a career as, like, a British pop star. I don't really know who she is. There's a bunch of things like that. There's also a bunch of, like, musical humor or musical references. Like, he talks a lot about how obsessed he is with things that are in 7-8 time and how no one else uses 7-8 time. And I love to listen to musicals, but I'm not very musically literate. I'm like, I don't know what this means. Um, You know, he talks about different complaints about acoustics and how this sounds wrong on this particular recording or like any fool would know not to like play a harp on a like whatever and I'm like no I don't know what you're talking about this is a lot and then a lot of it is also just like very specific rich person complaints about like British tax law (laughs) and like how hard it is to restore a castle and I'm like this is thank goodness for Margaret Thatcher right (laughs) right this is like the least relatable content I've ever read in my life That was a through line. We always knew what the contractual agreements of how much money he was going to make at every show, right. you know, what rights he was going to retain and what percentage of the, of the you know, when it would get reproduced and ticket sales and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, he talks a lot about, it seemed like he sort of, he or like a lawyer for him sort of pioneered this concept of grand rights, which is like a separate copyright for the work as a whole versus just like a single song from it. And like he got the grand rights for Jesus Christ Superstar. And then that turned out to be great for him because of, because it's Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I did, I did actually like, because there were also, you know, there were a lot of like those music, I know nothing about music. So a lot of those music references went right by me. You know, a lot of like the very specific, like British references and British pop cultural references went right by me. But there were plenty of references to musical theater folks who I uh, recognized and knew and was excited to see pop up even for just a second, even if it was just for him to name drop them because I'm so bad at celebrities. I'm so bad at pop culture in general so much of the time that like reading a thing where it's like, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like I mentioned to like Steven Schwartz and I'm like, I know who that is and I care about it and I recognized it. And I feel not as terrible about myself as I sometimes do when I don't get these things. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, like, if you were a a niche musicals fan, like, there's a lot of content in here for you. Yeah, I mean, for me, just, I have this, like, very, like I was saying earlier, that I started listening to Angela Weber as a child, that I have these very, like, childlike memories of 
things. Like when I when Renata and I first met and I started introducing her to some of my favorite Angela Webber musicals, I probably gave her a lot of stupid explanations of things that came from my like 10-year-old interpretations that I held on to. So for me, it was like names like Marty Webb or Julie Covington that I'd only seen on a cassette tape or on a Greatest Hits album became more fleshed out people for me. So it was kind of interesting from that perspective for me to get the kind of narrative and time and place of where these people popped up or like Paul Nicholas, that name was mm-hmm. a big name for me because he was on all the, like the Mr. Mistopheles and the and singing um, in Jesus Christ Superstar and all sorts of stuff. So for me, it was like, I guess, little Easter eggs for those names for, mm-hmm. for myself, yeah. but um, still a slog to get through. Yeah. One other good thing, one other good, like, factoidling those lines was that uh, Dame Judy Dench was the supposed to be the original <laughs> Grizabella and Cats, but hurt herself in a fall and had to back out. Mm-hmm. That would have been great, though. Yeah, but then, you know, who knows what would have happened with Elaine Page then? Well, she, she would have figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I mean, given given the nature of this book and how how it doesn't really have a plot and it just is like his life up until about phantom. And then the last chapter. So it was really quickly like, Oh, Hey, I thought I was going to write a memoir about my whole life, but then actually that took too long. And now I'm seem to, I think this is a good place to stop this book and maybe I'll write more later. I don't know. Uh, but just in case I don't real quickly, let me just say that I wrote a couple other musicals <laughs> and I got divorced anyway. Bye. And it's like, <laughs> it's compressed all in there. Um, but I, I feel like unless anybody else has another anecdote to drop, we could maybe move on to our dramatic readings. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. All right. Since it's Census's memoir and there's not as much dialogue or anything, we're each just picking a particular favorite part and just going to give you little slices of this book. And I think Ashley is going up first with something from the prologue. Something from the overture. <laughs> oh my gosh. Overture and beginners, because there's a book. Oh, it ha- the, I forgot this book does. Yeah, it has yeah. an overture and a prologue. Great. <laughs> okay. Before me, there was Mimi. Mimi was a monkey. She was given to my mother, Jean, by Gibraltar tenor with a limp that mom had taken a shine to in the summer of 1946. Mimi and mother must have seemed a really odd couple as they meandered through the gray bomb damaged streets of Ration Grip, London, South Kensington. South Ken was where my granny Molly rented a flat that Hitler's Luftwaffe had somehow missed, which she shared with Mimi, Mum, and Dad. Granny had got married to some army tosser and divorced him ASAP, which is not what a girl did every day in the 1920s. She told me that she threw her wedding ring down the lavatory on her honeymoon night. But the military deserter must have lurked around enough to sire Molly's three kids, Alistair, Viola, and finally my mother Jean. Eventually, he remarried some immigrant Russian wannabe, Princess Anastasia, and that's all I know about him. Unquestionably, Granny had a raw deal. Her only son, Alistair, drowned in a boating accident near Swanage in Dorset after he had just left school at 18. I have a photo of the man who would have been my uncle on my desk as I write. It affected Granny hugely, but it particularly traumatized my mother. Mum had a complete fixation on Alistair and was forever proclaiming psychic contact with him. Curiously, I think she did have contact with him, although her promise to get a hold of me when she discovered how, made in a letter just before she died, has so far failed to deliver. In 1938, Granny found herself bereft of her beloved son and a single mom supporting two daughters. The army tosser had never properly supported her, so she was forced to sell a big house on Harrow Hill 
and moved to the South Kensington rented flat on Harrington Road, SW7. When Mum met a plumber's son named William Lloyd Webber, a young scholarship boy white hope of the pre-war Royal College of Music, love blossomed. Soon, despite the Second World War, nuptials could not be put on hold. Dad had close to zero income. That's why he, Mum, Granny, and Mimi shacked up under one roof. A mere two years after VE Day, this post-war menage a quarter came to an abrupt end. Mom got pregnant. Mimi became horrendously distressed and violently attacked my mother's stomach with blood-curdling cries. In short, Mimi was the first person to take a dislike to Andrew Lloyd Webber. So thus setting off his bitter relationship with his mother. Yeah. <laughs> and also monkeys. And monkeys. Yeah, I love it because it, it starts you right off with strange self-deprecating jokes and just intense British weirdness right out yeah. the gate. <laughs> and monkeys play an important role in two, in Phantom, or I guess, you know, if you, chimpanzee versus monkey, but mm-hmm. in Phantom there's the the mechanical mm-hmm. monkey, mm-hmm. and in Sunset Boulevard it starts with Norma Desmond uh, burying her dead pet chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line, a dead ape dumped on a shelf. Wow. <laughs> anyway, this book doesn't go as far as Sunset Boulevard. This book has a lot of spoilers for me as a person who didn't know. Like, I didn't know <laughs> Gypsy was a stripper or something. Oh. You just threw that right in. And I was very shocked. There you go. You gotta have a gimmick. <laughs> All right, Kate, what do you got for us? Um, this is just a little bit. Uh, just because I, I felt like it was one of those reveals, it, a very, like, celebrity memoir reveal where it doesn't refer to a person by name, and then at the most dramatic moment, it drops their name in, and it... It's like a, it's like a Paul Harvey rest of the story. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to the other five people who grew up listening to Paul Harvey, which I've discussed <laughs> in the podcast before. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this is right after Andrew Lloyd Webber and his child bride, Sarah, are married. And they are in New York. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar is opening on Broadway. And the creative team is not who Andrew Lloyd Webber would have picked. And the director is just, like, totally ruining Andrew Lloyd Webber's vision. And he's very upset about it. And that is where we are here. Um, rehearsals began the following Monday. From the outset, it was clear that O'Horgan's vision of Jesus Christ Superstar had the vision and subtlety of Caesar's palace. Okay, you use vision twice in one sentence there, Andrew. So (laughs) dial that back. Uh, The cast, however, was excellent. Jeff Van Holt was called from the tour as Jesus. Barry and Yvonne repeated their roles as Pilate and Mary Magdalene, Barry bringing much-needed theatrical sanity to the Gold LeMay ship. Ben Vereen, provi- ben Vereen proved to be one of the most outstanding performers I have worked with. If anything, he was too polished and professional to play our Judas, but that was hardly his fault. I regret I never had a chance to work with him again. On the evening of the first day, I was dealt a major curveball. Peter Brown received a call from top agent Norman Weiss. Would we audition at the very last minute a new girl client he had signed? Apparently, she had been singing in some gay public baths, and he thought she would make a sensational Mary Magdalene. Yvonne Elliman was obviously already cast, but I agreed to go through the motions and hear her. If ever an audition could have undermined a casting decision, this was it. 
Bette Midler's rendition of I Don't Know How to Love Him was mind-blowing. Her interpretation of Tim's brilliant storytelling lyric was truly moving. I called Robert and told him that I had heard a performance without equal. But, quite rightly, there was no way the commitment to Yvonne could be dishonored. I console myself knowing that if Bette had made her Broadway debut in the upcoming Glitzfest, it would have been a chronic waste. Uh, but can you imagine, though? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine that being the butterfly effect moment? Like, if Bette had been put in Jesus Christ Superstar, we wouldn't have First Wives Club or Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> she could have been the new Yvonne Elliman. All right. Um... As as I alluded to earlier, my dramatic reading is this letter from Hal Prince to, well, he's written it, Dear Andrew, parentheses, and Tim, I have tried to include everything that occurs to me without regard for your feelings, which I know is how I want to start all of my personal letters now. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I think it's a fascinating project. You fellows deal in size, and I admire that. Before I get into individual scenes, numbers, and lyrics, I would like to say I had a feeling, which grew, that something is missing in the second act. That fate intervenes and levels Evita rather than instruments of her own doing. You touch on growing disillusionment within the government, but you don't describe it theatrically. There's no confrontation in which Evita and Peron accelerate their own downfall. The first act is structured so well that I found myself considering eliminating the intermission, which is a cop-out, and then I realized what I was missing in the structure of the second act. It's all in number 16, and the money kept rolling in, and probably should be solved there. I think Che is too British. I think some of his recitative is corny, quite frankly below the rest of the material. I don't get a clear character as I do Ava and Perone and some of the minor characters. He seems a familiar rock performer. Listen, chum, face the fact that they don't like your act, and which means get stuffed, also seems too British. Lines that are fully still in Evita, by the way. <laughs> she is a natural high, is in quotes, and then parentheses, isn't this an anachronism? You don't, you don't get it, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but I do not like Dangerous Jade. I wish that you would excise it. In Rainbow High, I do not like the reference to Lauren Bacall, principally because it distracts. That line is still in there, and it's great. Yes. Uh, I think it's a mistake for Che to say, I don't think she'll make it to England now. Still in the show. It confuses us. Wouldn't it be clear if we knew from Che that she eagerly awaited an invitation from Buckingham Palace and subsequently she was snubbed? Tim, I am aware you may be offended by this, but so St. Bernadette me faintly embarrasses. Again, it distracts. That I think did get removed. Yeah. So that's one point. For Hal Prince. <laughs> In summing up, I think the style of the piece should be abrasive, simple, raw is probably a better word, contemporary Brecht, bold. Best to you both, Hal. P.S. Tim, I wish I'd met you. It might make some of these criticisms easier to take in a more personal context. <laughs> <laughs> and he hadn't met Tim because Tim has a big fear of flying. Yes, Tim and, was only yeah. commuting between the UK and, and the US by boat. Yeah. Which is such a drama move. <laughs> so drama. Like, even the Rainbow Tour was conducted by plane. Or at least that's what the movie led me to believe. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, so my reading is um, kind of of the era where I think Andrew Lloyd Webber was really hitting his corporatization stride. 
by forming like the really useful group, which eventually was put on the stock exchange. And I, this passage is just kind of like, I think of the time where he was just really showing off how much money he was making and the kind of parties he was hosting. So, um, summer of 1978 was a whirlwind. Ten days after Evita opened, Capital Radio presented variations, once again at the Festival Hall. It went so well that another date was booked at nearly double the money by its chief, John Whitney, a newcomer to my address book who one day would be my CEO. David Land used to say I had 100 ideas a week to win the war. 99% were rubbish, but you had to wade through the treacle as one might be the battle clincher. Heaven knows what was going on in my head that summer. In no particular order, I invented a board game about insurance called Calamity! <laughs> exclamation point. In which players were insurance giant Lloyds of London underwriters trying to lay off risks on other players before disaster struck. Sarah and I hosted this being young child bride Sarah one. Uh, Sarah and I hosted many soirees in a vain attempt to launch this extremely prescient game. Prescient again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lloyd's nearly went bankrupt in the 1980s due to asbestos damage claims. One memorable night, Richard Branson tricked me into buying his offshore oil rigs just before a hurricane struck. So, uh, big elbow rubber, that ALW. (laughs) Can you imagine... Richard Branson and Android Weber playing a Monopoly knockoff of Andrew's own devising? Yes. With his child bride in their castle. Yes. Oh my god. I feel like I just described like a clue scenario, actually. Yeah. That's why I picked that one. Yeah. I just thought everything was coming yes. together there. Beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, if, if any of that sounded, like, appealing, or you were like, ooh, Richard Branson, like, then you might enjoy this book, but probably, for most people, nah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's play some Would You Rathers. Uh, would you rather talk shit about Android Weber with Tim Rice or Patty Lupone? I would rather do everything with Patty Lupone. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, uh, for me, I'm going to go with Tim Rice because, the, and this is in my uh, uh, recommended readings, is there are a ton of YouTube videos out there of Patty just trashing Andrew Lloyd Webber. Ooh. She does not hold back. She <laughs> hates him. They finally just reconciled. I think she tweeted about it like a few well, months ago. Because um, she performed Don't Cry For Me Argentina at the Grammy Awards, and she said she would only do it if Andrew would like um, help orchestrate it. And so they oh, reconciled for that. She she hated the movie adaptation yes, of Evita. Yes, they yes, changed yes. the keys, she fam- famously said. But I still feel like the, the Tim Rice dispute eludes me a little bit. And I think he could, like, give some real insight into, like, tell me, how much sex with girls was Andrew Lloyd Webber really doing? <laughs> and was he watching you? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, what was the creep vibe factor that he gave off? Like, tell me about that intangible thing that... I'm sensing through my YouTube videos that I don't quite know. <laughs> I'm, I would be scared to meet Patty Lapone. If Patty Lapone yelled at me for anything, I would die. And, <laughs> and I mean, I would obviously do my best not to, not to do anything that would make Patty Lapone yell at me, but the safest thing to do is just not meet her. 
Plus, I just, I do have a lot of questions for Tim Rice about some of his puns, and I feel like I could just spend <laughs> a full day just unpacking, unpacking puns with Tim Rice. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I want to say just a quick Patty Lapone anecdote, and you can edit this out, <laughs> but I was listening to a Neil Patrick Harris interview recently where he said that when Patty Lapone, because they were on, uh, they did a revival of Sweeney Todd together. Yes. And when Patty Lapone gets really excited, she lifts her shirt up and flashes people. <laughs> I, I, I think that was in Comedy oh, Bang Bang. Funny. It was in Comedy Bang Bang. That's right. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> so that's another reason to maybe change your vote. To, yeah. yeah. To, oh, yeah. If you, she might flash me. Uh, now I'll, I'll stay with Tim. Okay. How about you, Ashley? Um, well, I'm hoping we get to go with them in any era of their lives because I want to sit and hang out with, like, young, hot Tim Rice and, like, mm. maybe he'll flash me. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good time. Like, I'm all... Like, he can talk about whatever. He can straight off course. I'm just gonna look at him while he's talking, so... Yeah. All right. How about... Would you rather be a child bride to Andrew Lloyd Webber or the Phantom, a.k.a. Eric with a K? Absolutely Andrew Lloyd Webber. Dude is loaded. Yeah. I would make sure that I signed a very good agreement in that wedding to make sure that when he inevitably cheated on me or hooked up with someone else and we got divorced, I would come away very well off. Yeah, I'd marry Andrew Fucking... right now. <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom would just, he'd just be like, come live in a cave with me against your will. Here's a wedding dress that I put on, took off a corpse, and I'm gonna murder everyone you love. Like, I don't need that. If I'm gonna lower myself to being in any sort of relationship with a man, there's gotta be money involved, not creepy stalkers. Ladies, any of you horny for the Phantom? I'm, I'm a little horny. I think his, I thought he got some money from the theater owners. I thought he had, like, some money. But then he spent it all to, like, buy Coney Island. We're gonna... <laughs> we haven't that Love Never yet. Dies doesn't exist. Oh, we're not in the Love Never Dies I'm verse. like, you know what? Take me to your weird underground lair. You know, I love candles and I hate outsides. So. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, I'd hang out with him underground. That sounds fine. Yeah. That's true. And you would have box seats to every show that came through that theater. Yeah. And, like, like his face is gross, but it's, he was born with the gross. It's not, like, currently dripping i don't think so like that's fine whatever yeah. <laughs> i'd let him move it on whatever yeah I'm, cool. I'm with you i'm going with the phantom as well because eric, eric i'm eric so Portis. sorry i'm going with eric because i'm i'm a you know shameless person who wants stage time yeah. i like performing in front of people so i mean it would be a little skeevy that it would be like this you know man pulling the strings yeah. of my but I get to be on stage and perform and be an angel of music yeah and um yeah just the opportunity to perform for audiences is something I feel like being a child bride to Angela Weber I'd be like locked in a castle um taking care of his kids yeah and, and I can't sing at all I would love a free voice lesson yeah. honestly so I'd mm. like to get better at singing yeah I say that like I'm good at it to <laughs> <laughs> Eric will get you into shape yeah <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, invite me to your wedding. Uh, <laughs> there won't be one. It's what only... about you, Renata? Oh, I already said Andrew. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, for, for mainly the reasons that Kate outlined. And I want to go to his parties and play weird board games with Richard Branson. <laughs> 
Well, here's another here's another thing that Android Web likes to do. Uh, would you rather eat a meal with Android Weber at Zanzibar or one of the other? He is always describing these gross, fancy British meals that he eats at restaurants. That he's he's name dropping the restaurants, but I haven't heard of them. I assume they're all maybe like the British equivalent of Sardis or something. He's always doing this. So, would you rather get one of those weird British restaurants he's dropping names of, or? Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fish- fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that only serves whole steaks and whole cakes. Well, I would obviously, obviously want to go to Steaks and Cakes. Who knows what kind of fancy food they serve at those rich people restaurants. I need to go to a restaurant where I know that a waiter is going to bring out an entire platter of whole steaks and entire full cakes afterwards. I need to know when I'm going in what to expect. So steaks and cakes for me. Yes, give me that cake. <laughs> Steak to go. Take it home to Duarte. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm going with Zanzibar's and fancy British restaurants because I I don't like routine. I like variety, so I think I'd I'd get a little tired of two items on my menu. So I'll I'll suffer through a potentially disastrous meal if it means a little bit of a shakeup. Yeah, um, it sounds like steaks and cakes is nearby, and Zanzibar sounds far. <laughs> that sounds like a long flight. I'll just do the steaks and cakes. It's right here. We know it's delicious. It's like I got a 50-50 chance. Like, steaks are good. Cakes are good. All right, I'm in. Steaks and cakes has a franchise in our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> it has it has no geographic location. It's a, it's a spiritual location. Yeah, it can access it anytime, and that's yeah. what I need. I don't remember the full genesis of this steaks and cakes things, but it's like I only hear steak and shake, midwestern, you know, oh. chain. Like, is it obviously like knocking off steak steak and shake? Steak well, and Shake was okay. in the South, too, yes. when I so, lived there. So, Steak and Shake is a real chain that is delicious. Steaks and Cakes is this restaurant in, in Christian Mingle, the movie, which we watched as a bonus episode for this podcast. They just casually, the characters in the film, Lacey Chabert and her boyfriend, are like, oh, we'll, we'll go to Steaks and Cakes after church. <laughs> and you go to the store, so it does not look at all like a Steak and Shake. It just, it looks like they've shot it in... A friend's kitchen. Kitchen. Like, and you, it doesn't look like a restaurant. It looks like literally just a kitchen, and someone just brings out a whole tray of steaks and then a full cake. And that's that's it. And that's why we're obsessed with it. It's the weirdest restaurant. (laughs) I was just assuming that they were avoiding some kind of legal battle with steak and shake. So they're just like, change it to cakes. No, it's their own fully flushed restaurant concept, obviously. (laughs) Nary a shake in sight, my dear. Well, because there's cakes. Yes. I get that much. We have got to, we've got to get like gifs made of that scene or like rip it to YouTube. I don't know how to do that, but we got to. I do. I think I do. Kate, we got to do it. Uh, (laughs) Okay. I will put it in our bullet journals. And for now, we'll move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest stuff to read instead of or in addition to Unmasked, which, again, I'm going to say don't read this unless you are truly a true blue Android Weber lover. And if you are, you've probably already read this. If you're on the fence, I mean, I don't know. Or you could skim it, probably. There's just a lot. It's really too much. So instead of it... You should read the Great Comet book. (laughs) Should we? Yes. Okay. (laughs) 
Uh, I have a couple things I want to say. One is I just want to point out that Patty Lupone's memoir is just the full title of it is Patty Lupone colon a memoir, which is like that's a power play, and I love it. Yeah, we're gonna read it. Uh, Tim Rice also has a memoir called Oh What a Circus that in this Andrew mentions reading, but he doesn't really react to it that much, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, I looked into it. Oh, what a circus is extremely out of print and pretty expensive to buy a used copy of. So I'm probably not going to seek that out. It might be at the library, though. Um, a couple other things. I just read Leah on the Offbeat by Becky Albertalli, which is the sequel to Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda. And in it, all the kids are in a school production of Joseph and the Amazing Technical or Dreamcoat. And Simon is playing Simeon, which is funny. <laughs> The other thing that I want to recommend is uh, just anytime, anywhere, any format that Paul F. Tompkins is doing his Android Weber impression. <laughs> yeah. He's so good at it. He just really fully embodies the kind of like wackadoo British gentleman just to the most. Um, whenever when he does it live, he wears like a top hat and a, a topping cape. Hat. A topping hat, yeah. <laughs> 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 and it came and just like a medal. <laughs> and uh, two of my favorites, and we'll link to these. One of them um, is a, an extended bit that he did on Comedy Bang Bang, where it's all him doing these different impressions that he does of Android Weber and also Ice T and then John C. Riley together in a hot air balloon, <laughs> which Android Weber pronounces as balloon. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good. And then uh, the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, they did a musical theater episode called, um, well, every episode of the show is just titled The Name of the Guests and What They're Wearing. So it's called like Casey Wilson Wears a White Shirt. <laughs> but the, the musical that they do in the show is called Phantom of the Bang Bang Set. And it's like a Phantom of the Opera knockoff that goes so weird. And Casey Wilson sings a whole song about Cheez-Its. And the Phantom is Thomas Lennon. And everything about it is perfect. And it is on Netflix, and it's season two, episode 20. And the show is a faux talk show format, so you can just skip right to that, and you're not, like, missing anything. There's no, like, overarching plot. You can just go straight to that, get this fully bananas, amazing musical parody. <laughs> watch it right now, please. Please watch it. It's so good. Nice. <laughs> Also watch, um, which we referenced it a couple times before, but uh, this past Easter, NBC did Jesus Christ Superstar Live with Brandon Victor Dixon and John Legend and a whole bunch of other people. And it was amazing. I watched it like a hundred times. It's so good. All sorts of great people are in it. Sarah Brillis plays Mary Magdalene. She's really good. Two of my great comet babies are in it. <laughs> uh, ben Daniels plays Punch's pilot, and he's also in the show The Exorcist, which you should watch, and then talk <laughs> to me about it, because it's really good. And yeah, it's on Hulu, so check that out. Uh, also check out the book Not Since Carrie, which is about mm. Broadway flops. And I have not read it in a long time. My uh, One of my best friends from college did his senior project on Broadway flops. And I think I borrowed it from him and read most of it. And it is very good. And then there's always the option of just buying me a couple drinks and asking me to tell you about Love Never Dies. And I would be so happy <laughs> to do that. There is a Twitter account dedicated to hating Love Never Dies yes. called Love Should Die, which is a... Uh, <laughs> Worth it Yeah. <laughs> I think they retweeted both Kate and I. I think they just like troll Twitter looking for people talking about Love Never Dies. And I respect yes. that move. Mm -hmm. yeah. Naomi too. They did it to Naomi too. Yes. 
yeah, so, oh, so some of the things, um, Finishing the Hat, which is a two-part Sondheim uh, autobiography. I haven't read it, but i am only heard amazing things, and I've listened to every Fresh Air interview he's done with Terry Gross. <laughs> um, and uh, this is a crazy little gem on YouTube that I watched several years ago. Hopefully it's still up. There was a Canadian reality show called How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? And, you know, uh, Angela Weber bought the rights to Sound of Music, and I'm sure he'll talk about in the second book, mm-hmm. about all the you know, Rodgers and Hammerstein uh, musicals he owns now. But um, it's a, like elimination reality show, and he shows up occasionally as a guest judge, and, he, and he's sitting in a throne. And so if you just Google image Andrew Lloyd Webber in a throne, there are all these images from that Canadian reality show, and it's just, I love it. I would also recommend um, almost any Andrew Lloyd Webber adaptation that's made its way to a bigger screen. Um, I love Donny Osmond and Joseph and the Amazing mm-hmm. Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, Renata and I love the movie Evita. I just rewatched it a few days ago. Um, a lot of people hate that. Patty Lapone hates that movie. Yes. It's... It's a little bit much, but in the best way. And, like, who plays Che? Oh, Antonio Banderas. Yes. And I couldn't remember <laughs> yeah. his name. Antonio Banderas kills it. Kills it. It's incredible. Yeah. You wouldn't think it, but he's well, so good. He also sings live in the 50th birthday concert. I think it's Angela Edwards, or maybe it's a 60th birthday Um there is a on YouTube too, like some tribute to uh, Angela Weber, where Antonio Banderas and Glenn Close sing, and like, it's great. And Antonio is awesome in it. Um, like I said earlier, any interviews of Patti Lapone talking shit about Angela Weber <laughs> is well worth your time. She's not shy about it. And it's out of print now, but if I ever find my sixth grade report on Angela <laughs> Weber, um, I'll, I'll let. I'll let you guys know, and you can put it up on your website. Put it on Create Space. Um, They're also, they just did a 70th uh, birthday concert for Android Weber. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but Lana Del Rey did uh, You Must Love Me from Evita, and I I did love it. You know, that, I will say, I'm going to backtrack and say just for one second, I was annoyed that he did not mention that song in the book, because they wrote it, he and Tim Rice got together specifically to write that for the movie, because that's not in the original Evita that's all. I just wanted to talk I, about it. I think he did mention it in, like, one sentence, but he didn't really want to talk about it. Because I, I don't think yeah. I... Yeah, anyway. Not enough to my satisfaction. It's yeah, probably going to be a volume two. goes into detail. Yeah. You could have more on that. It goes into exhaustive side. detail. Maybe that's for book two. Yeah. <laughs> no. Because the Evita movie got a false start for a long time. Yeah, there's a lot in this about, like, trying to do an Evita movie in the 80s that never came. Mm-hmm. All right, Ashley, you got anything you want to recommend? Um, the only one I would recommend is the Carrie Fisher autobiography, Wishful Drinking. Mm, yeah. Um, because Carrie would never do this with the going into details about really boring stuff. She would never do that to us. So if you want to read a memoir about a cool lady, do that and not read this thing. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so we'll have all of these and probably some other stuff that we didn't mention up at our website, worstbestsellers.com. And now we'll move on to our candy pairing where, because we're not going to Zanzibar, we don't have a wine pairing, we'll just tell you what candy this book is like. Hmm. Uh, Well, I said reasons, which are those really hard caramels covered in chocolate, Mm. and they hurt your jaw to eat them. So I like caramel and chocolate a lot, just like I like Andrew Lloyd Webber's music. But there was just, this was, this hurt my eyes <laughs> reading, <laughs> reading so much. It was just too much work for, for something that I love. 
Um, I would say a sherbet lemon because it's British and, you know, you hear about it in Harry Potter and you're like, that sounds cool. But then you actually eat one and it's like a lemon drop that hurts your mouth. Kind of, kind of like a reason along those lines of like, oh, it's too much. It hurts. But it sounds cool. <laughs> uh, mine would be a Broadway themed cocktail in a souvenir sippy cup. Mm. Because if you're a fan, like it's worth the absurd cost to get one of those and like waiting online forever and not sure if you're going to also have time to go to the bathroom and get back to your seat before act two starts. Uh, but if you're not a fan, it just seems like a very unnecessary, very overpriced, <laughs> stupid thing, not worth the time or effort. <laughs> And my candy pairing is Trolley Sour Bright Blast because there's these little uh, little cube-shaped sour candy, and I love a sour candy. They're not new, but they were new to me. I just grabbed them real quick on the way to a meeting to have some snacks to bring, and I bit into it, and I was surprised because there was a filling on the inside, like a like a gusher or something. Ugh. So yeah, so I was I was shocked. I thought I knew what I was getting, but like, oh, it can, you can still surprise me a little bit. So. Yeah, that's yeah. me. And also, they, but also, like, they were not that good, and I had to get them help to finish it, so. <laughs> that sounds just like this yep. book. Nice. All right, now it's time for The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and Stacey and Ashley will choose which would most enhance the book, or choose paper, which is to leave it as is, um, and you can each vote separately. You do not have to come to a consensus. All right. Uh, If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would just be himself and he would be there specifically so Andrew Lloyd Webber could not so subtly name drop him. (laughs) Um, If Wolverine were in this book, they talk a lot about the casting process for cats and how it was hard for them to find dancers who could like really embody the personality of a cat because a lot of dancers just try to kind of, you know, fit into the chorus line, and they needed people who could stand out. <laughs> so I think maybe they got fed up, and they like, we can't find anybody to be old Deuteronomy and, like, really embody this. And then one day, pro- probably, like, at a bar, they encounter Wolverine, and they're like, yes, Wolverine, you have to play old Deuteronomy and cats. <laughs> and Wolverine does. Because yeah, he kind of is a cat. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's a Wolverine. Is it a yeah. wolf? Is it a cat? We don't, don't know. know. No one knows. <laughs> We but do we know that kitty has claws, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so that's what we got. What do you guys think most enhances this book? Well, I really do appreciate the specificity of old Deuteronomy. I mean... Because he's old. In my mind, I'm thinking he's a little... I was actually thinking maybe more of a rum-tum tugger, just because he's got a little bit more of that, like, sort of, like... Mischievous, yeah, that mischievous, irreverent sort of vibe that the Rum Tum Tugger has. <laughs> However, despite that, I'm still definitely going with Old Deuteronomy. So Wolverine. Okay. I am also going to go with Wolverine in this case because I think dancing would really help him get out a lot of his tension, and yep. maybe he wouldn't need his sadness cave so often. That's abs- yeah. So yes. that's yes. what that's my hope for Wolverine, really. And maybe yes. he'd get up, up, up to the heavy side layer. <laughs> <laughs> There's been an ongoing thing in, in the Marvel comics where the character of Wolverine has been dead for the last couple of years and he is just now being like reborn. He did, he did go to the heavy side layer. Oh my god. <laughs> for for cats slash wolverines slash wolves to be reborn. Yeah, he's up there with Grisabella. Uh, 
how Holly. sweet. But I, I do hope that The Rock makes his appearance in Android Webber's volume two of this, because I hope that means The Rock will be in a Broadway musical soon. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll check back in on that. What do you guys think the moral of the story is? Um, I think the moral of the story is, and it's a moral that we've seen before, you know, it's it's not new, but uh, the moral is, if you're rich, you can do basically whatever you want. Yeah. Mine's pretty similar to that. Mine snag those grand rights and then go buy a throne or a castle. Both. Yeah. Why choose? <laughs> you're Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, mine is, if your name is Sarah, Andrew Lloyd Webber probably finds you irresistible to everyone else's chagrin. <laughs> My moral of the story is cats. Jellicle cats. <laughs> no, we don't have the right. Stop oh, it. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't even 15 seconds. <laughs> we didn't do the whole show, though, so we don't need the grand rights. Are you Perfect. blind when you're born? No. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> uh, uh, well, this perfectly segues into Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte gives his opinions, which he has been throughout this whole show, because he does have a lot to say about Android Weber, and he's, you know, well, let's let him speak for himself. Yeah, Duarte, you're right. This is one of the few authors we've encountered who really does seem to pay the appropriate amount of reverence and respect to cats. And I I think there's a lot of bad things you could say about Android Weber, but this really does make up for all of it. He's waited a long time for this. He's loved cats this whole book, so this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Finally. However, while I I do sympathize with your perspective, Duarte, I do have to disagree. I don't think that he should have just expanded the parts about cats into a whole additional 500-page book. Um, I totally understand where you're coming from, but I think that that is more Andrew Lloyd Webber than any of us really need. Yeah, I'm I'm also going to take issue to your point about having a version of cats with live cats. I think that would be... (laughs) really complicated to pull off. I don't even think Hal Prince would know how to stage that. So I'm going to have to disagree on that idea. But, Duarte, I do agree that it is ridiculous that they invited Grumpy Cat to go see Cats on Broadway and they didn't invite you. It was very rude. Yeah. By the way, we will link to photos of Grumpy Cat and Cats on Broadway because it's a real thing that happened. So did Lil Lil Bub get snubbed? Ooh. Don't be invite her. Ouch. You know, I think maybe little Bob also did get snubbed. Oh we'll investigate. Oh. But anyway, Duarte, thanks as ever for your opinions. Uh, now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? I I do like it. It is. I know I said this at the beginning, but it is very interesting to me that it wasn't until I was reading this over this past weekend that like it really because I do consider myself like oh like I think of myself as like a musical fan and that like I know things about musicals and about theater and people know that about me and they ask me questions about it and like it is just aside from I mean I've seen probably most of Andrew Lloyd Webber's shows once or twice but like I don't know anything about them or care and I don't know most of the music like once I'm hearing it I'm like oh I know what this is but I couldn't spontaneously sing most of the songs whereas like you know if you look at like a Sondheim show or Pippin or you know South Pacific or Guys and Dolls like all of these other shows that all these other composers I don't know 
is I, weird because everybody probably, thinks of Andrew Lloyd Webber when they think of musical theater, and yeah, I mean, that just probably speaks to your personal taste because like Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, let us know just how much money he's made. <laughs> he, you know, the jury's the jury's decided that for him. <laughs> I think Andrew Weber has such a reputation now. It, it, I think he's in full like backlash where he has such a like kind of corny reputation. Yeah, very schmaltz. Yeah, very schmaltz, and and not not unearned. If you look at, I mean, Cats. If you look at Phantom, whatever. But I think um, I think some of his stuff still is really good. Like Jesus Christ Superstar is mm-hmm. great, and it made me laugh. Tim Rice on Twitter retweeted someone who said like. Jesus Christ Superstar feels so fresh, and he commented, it's 50 years old, and it <laughs> literally, Jesus Christ Superstar is 50 years old, and it sounds good as hell. Right. And I mean, Angela Weber also has, like, two of the most longest-running shows in the world. Like, Evita still tours the world, and Sunset, or not Sunset Boulevard, that just got a revival, but... um Starlet Express was in Germany forever. <laughs> German people love Starlet Express. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. His stuff is... I think maybe it gets like... I think Angelique Weber because it's kind of one of those things that's for the masses. And I think it does make you sound more of like an interesting person if you say <laughs> that you like Sondheim or other more niche, like not as much in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that's I mean, where... I don't know like, that I'd I would ever say... call Sondheim niche. <laughs> no, but I guess what I mean... I guess what I mean is that Sondheim's... Uh, work. I love Sondheim. His work's a lot more complicated and intellectual than Angelaid Weber. So to my point, I'm thinking like Angelaid Weber is kind of like the Billy Joel of pop music, and I love Billy Joel too. Like it's very accessible, very simple stories and lyrics, and they appeal to the masses. Yeah. And I think people turn their nose up to things that appeal to the masses very often. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying anything about people who like Angelaid Weber stuff, like. It's just, you know, it's it's not any any particular value or judgment that I'm placing on it. Just kind of a a shock to me as a person who identifies as a musical theater fan. Like it was not something that I expected about myself. I mean, I love garbage. I'm not <laughs> a, a new self awareness. <laughs> well, I like would, I, I yeah. I, 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 everybody knows I love garbage. I have terrible taste in everything. <laughs> no judgment on people who like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Just surprised that I realized that I did not actually like him very much. Well, I just think that it's an interesting conversation. I wish he would have addressed, like, the kind of reputation he has. Like, that was kind of the introspection that I was missing from this book. Because it was a lot of, like, listing of facts and figures And I would have liked him to talk a little bit about, like, this is the kind of thing I write. These are the kind of audiences I draw. And just to, like, I don't know, to just be reflective about that. But I think instead he's just like, I made a lot of money. He does also, throughout it, for much longer than is appropriate, seems to think of himself as an underdog. Which is not true. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so perhaps perhaps is unaware or unwilling to address the fact that he now seems sort of, like, pedestrian. Mm-hmm. Uh, my only closing thought is that he mentioned he's thinking of uh, doing a revival of Starlight Express without no. the roller skates, and I want to tell him, please don't do that, because no. I had never heard of the show, and I looked up <laughs> clips on YouTube, and I'm in love, and I'm very inspired to get back on my skates, so please don't do that. I want to see the show, like, full <sighs> spectacle, roller skates on a stage, yes.
Um, my last closing thought, this is a extremely mild spoiler for Avengers Infinity War, which by the time this <laughs> by the time this episode comes out is gonna be like out for like at least a month. So if you care about spoilers, surely you've seen it. And also, um I've already seen a bunch of memes about this anyway, so in in the film Infinity War, there's a character who gets the ability to just, like, disintegrate people into dust. Mm-hmm. And the effect that that looks like on the screen looks very much like the cover. Like, it looks like <laughs> he is in the process of being disintegrated into Infinity War dust. And I, I don't know what it means, but I noticed it and I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> That's my final closing thought. <laughs> Um, so, so Ashley and Stacey, thank you for joining us and sharing your various levels of ALW expertise. (laughs) That's been fun. Yeah, thanks. Um, if you, the listener, want some more of, of our whole shenanigans, um, which, as you know, frequently, frequently include digressions into talk of musical theater, although not usually quite this much. Uh, you can like us on Facebook, where we're facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at worstbestseller with no S, because Hal Prince didn't like the S, and he told us to get rid of the S. And we were like, <laughs> okay, Hal, you're right. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group with a complicated URL, so you're better off going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on that link. You can also subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, When you do subscribe to us, please rate and review us. Uh, When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit on the charts. It makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, then, you know, I was trying to think of a funny thing to say here, and I'm just not going to reach for it because I'm tired. If you don't rate and review us, you'll have to watch Starlight Express with no roller skates. (laughs) Every person who doesn't rate and review adds a chapter to this book. So oh, no. Please. <laughs> uh, you can also pledge a small monthly recurring donation to us on Patreon, and that money will be used to do things like buy new equipment and commission logos and things for new merchandise, which, funny that I should mention merchandise, we have a merchandise store. Uh, it's on Redbubble, and you can find a link off worstbestsellers.com, and you'll be able to purchase things so that you can wear our podcast on your body. We don't sell masks, though. No. But we could look into that. <laughs> um, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter and get all my thoughts when I live tweet the DVD of Evita that I'm probably going to do as soon as we end this recording, uh, I'm at Renata Snacks. And if you want to follow me personally on Twitter and learn things about Dave Malloy musicals, <laughs> I'm at 14 across. Um, I'm at snurdy on Twitter, but I'm probably more active on Instagram, which is at Stacy underscore Snyder. If you're a if you're a cats lover, as Android Weber and myself are, Stacy posts a lot of quality cat shots over there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and my Twitter is at porkpan, and there are no cat pictures because I'm very allergic. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I took medicine today. No worries. <laughs> All right. And uh, we will be back in two weeks with A Court of Wings and Fury by Sarah J. Moss, a.k.a. Horny Fairies. <laughs> Get ready. It's going to be deeply erotic. I love all your books about horny people. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening and uh, for reading this book with us. Bye. Bye.